Brothers and sisters of the barbecue world, Cowboy Kev here welcoming you to another episode of Man Meat Barbecue with your host, Mikey K. Man Meat Barbecue is proudly sponsored by Fire and Smoke Barbecue. If you're looking for a new seasoning, head over to fireandsmokebbq.com. We ship nationwide or pick up a catering menu for those of you in the Chicago area. Also brought to you by Myron Mixon Smokers. If you're a caterer competition or just a backyard cooker, we have the smoker for you. Go check them out at MyronMixonSmokers.com. And now, here is your host, Mikey K. What's up, guys? So we are going to Washington State today. That's right. You guys heard it correct. We're going to Washington to chat about barbecue. Some people don't think there's good barbecue up there. I think they're wrong. I think there's great barbecue anywhere you can find it. Uh, so we are hanging out with Jack's BBQ. Uh, if you go on Instagram, it's Jack's BBQ. The reason I'm spelling it out is because if you say barbecue, sometimes people like typing out the whole word. But they are Jack's BBQ on Instagram. All one word. Super easy to find. Just type it in. You, you'll start seeing some beautiful photos. They got some beautiful pits out there. Um, we are hanging out with these boys. So, guys, if you can introduce yourselves, that'd be great. Well, I'm Jack Timmons, the owner of and uh, founder of Jack's Barbecue, and with me here is Joseph Whalen, our pit master. Hey. So, let me ask you this. What made you want to start a barbecue restaurant in Washington State? Well, it was uh, purely accidental. I grew up in Texas, <laughs> and I moved here on a job with Boeing. I was a computer guy, and I traveled around. I worked at Microsoft for lots of years. I always had a little barbecue pit in my backyard for fun. Like the started with little bitty electric ones and kind of grew them over over the years. I wish I still had them all. It'd be like a collection, you know, the history of barbecue pits, right? Yeah. And, uh, and I started following on the internet about eight or eight, or, I guess, years ago, uh, Daniel Vaughn, the barbecue snob. Okay. And he was a, blo a blogger at that time, and he was talking about Texas barbecue and briskets and the fat versus the the flat and all this kind of stuff. And I kind of went down the rabbit hole, and I've discovered a thing called barbecue summer camp in the meat sciences department at Texas A&M. Yep, they have guys with PhDs in meat, and I and I went to Texas A&M for my undergraduate, you know, engineering stuff. And I thought, well, hell, I got to do that. And so I signed up for it. And I had, I took a Beef 101 class that same week. It's like a half week each. That was a week at Texas A&M. And then I went to Austin for a week. And a couple of buddies flew down. And we toured all these super famous barbecue joints in Central Texas. And I came back to Seattle all inspired and thought, oh, man, I know. I know what's going on now. And I started a, a monthly event called the Seattle Brisket Experience. And I'd smoke a bunch of meat in my backyard. My wife and friends would make the sides. And I'd sell tickets on the Internet. I had a website that said, I'm going to try to recreate the Central Texas barbecue experience here in, in uh, the Northwest. I'm going to sell a limited number of tickets this year. If you want to uh, try to get into one of the events, you know, sign up and I'll email you. And a guy in New York had done this before me, Robert Delaney. He created a thing called the uh, Brisket Laboratory up in New York. And he just took off like crazy. He sold something like 2,500 tickets in two or three weeks' time. He made $65,000 before he even started cooking. I Jeez. went, wow. Okay. That's cool. I, didn't, I wasn't in New York City, and it didn't take off like that. But I, I had a monthly event 
and be, they became more and more popular to where they sold out. Every event sold out, and uh, and quicker and quicker. And then I thought, well, I'm I'm probably doing this all illegally in my backyard, right? And have a commissary. hundred and ten percent. It's okay. <laughs> I, I feel like friends. every barbecuer, every barbecue guy, somehow starts unless like you're you're like a second generation or third generation barbecue guy. I feel like every barbecue guy starts off somewhat like a drug dealer, where they're like, hey, dude, how much meat do you want? Okay, cool. I'll meet you in the alley. I'll drop it off. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, it, it's one of those things, like, I don't know if you guys know who Trudy's Backyard Barbecue is. Uh, the guy's out of L.A. He felt he kind of has your sim- similar story to yours, where he went to Texas. Well, he didn't grow up in Texas, but he went to Texas, fell in love, came back all inspired, being like, hey, I'm going to start cooking this stuff, and started cooking it. And basically he was like, I was starting to get like celebrities that were like starting to like DM him on Instagram being like, Hey, can I get three pounds of brisket? Hey, can I get this? And the way he was doing it is he would do like backyard parties in different people's backyards and he'd just bring his pit out. And yeah. like you had to know somebody to get invited to the party. So it like became like this underground world of, do I know somebody to go to this barbecue party? That, that kind of happened to me in a way that Sir Mix-a-Lot ate one of my beef ribs at a Ooh. restaurant where we did an event, and he started chasing me on Twitter, and all of a sudden, you know, I've got Sir Mix-a-Lot, you know, hanging out and eating that's barbecue awesome. and stuff. That's what I, that's it, that, and Daniel Vaughn came out to do, he wrote a book that Anthony Bourdain's published called The Prophets of Smoked Meats. Yep. And he came out to meet with Amazon, and I did an event, one of my events, and we had a book signing party, and ABC News filmed us in my backyard, and Amazon filmed us at the event, and all of a sudden I was, you know, getting some notoriety. Yeah. Which was fun. And uh, so anyhow, I found a, I was looking for a commissary, and I found a little, I thought, you know, commissaries were expensive. They're like 2500 a month. Yeah, they're and, not cheap, dude. I know. I'm, I'm right there with you. <laughs> and I thought, well, you could rent a place a little place for that much and so I started looking at little restaurants for rent and this this old big old dive bar was up for rent for not much and then uh, they started getting offers for people to buy it like strip joints and punk rock clubs and stuff and you know and uh, the old couple that owned it had owned it as a restaurant and they asked me if I would buy it to keep it as a restaurant versus becoming a strip joint and so I got a bunch of buddies we chipped in and bought it and now we're restaurant tours <laughs> <laughs> it was you purely make, accidental. <laughs> you make it sound so easy, though. You're like, you know, we just kind of, we just did it. It was fun. Like, it, you make it you sound my, very easy. see my gray hair? My yeah. gray hair? I, I tell people I've aged like a president, you know, four years, eight years later. I'm definitely the before and after picture. <laughs> it, it's one of those things, I mean, you got to love the, you got to love the industry, especially if you're a pit master over there. Uh, man, I, I get it. Um uh, I own a I own a barbecue catering company and we do we do our own rubs we do our all our own stuff and um, we do we do barbecue pop ups right so we're in and out of breweries and all that kind of stuff we're we're in the middle of getting a uh, a barbecue concession trailer to have all that stuff you know going and it is insane how much work you got to do you know what I mean like I'm up at two in the morning cooking doing all that and then I'm working the events also. So it's, <laughs> and then the next day you have you're to up at two a.m. No, I'm up at two a.m. cooking for the next event. <laughs> no, that that was as as exhausted as I've ever been in my life. 
was when I was doing those events, but it was once a month. When I opened the restaurant, I thought, well, I'll have a lot of help and stuff. And and the restaurant was hard, but when I was doing the catering by myself, the first couple of years, the restaurant, it almost killed me because you'd have 4th of July week, week, you'd have like five gigs. Yep. And actually, you know, you'd have to schlep all this stuff down somebody's lawn or across a building or something. It, it almost killed me. I've never been that tired in my life. <laughs> yeah. Now, you guys, you guys are cooking a crazy amount of meat over there, right? Yeah. I mean, Joe, how much, how much meat are we cooking? Right now, we're doing about six, seven thousand pounds a week because of COVID. And, of and, course, you know, yeah. A lot of protesting. It's kind of slowing things down. Um, but Which is still, this time last year, about eight thousand, eight to ten thousand, and then we started getting up to August around twelve thousand, and and kind of getting up there five, six tons a week. That's that is in that's an insane amount of meat. It, it is. It's it's a it's a factory. I mean, but it's not a factory because we have these big old old offset smokers and piles of mesquite wood. So it's, but we've got a we've got a crew now. We've got three full time yeah. people. Four. Yeah. Four. You kind of have to. I mean, at that point, once you start cooking that much food, I mean, you're not trimming all those briskets yourself, Joe. There's just no. <laughs> there's no way. Sometimes. <laughs> we were, I mean, in August we were doing ten thousand pounds a week, and there was two of us at one point. Yeah. But you just get smart, you know. You just you just get smarter about it. And you start you start trimming a little bit faster. You know, <laughs> we we had this uh, discussion the other day with my buddy Kev, and we were like, you know, when I'm cooking for when I'm cooking for catering and the restaurant side of it the pop-up side of it, I'm not cooking like a competition cook. I'm not taking 45 minutes right. to trim a brisket because right. you're never going to make it. You know what I mean? You're, you're just never going to make, you're never going to make any money. Not to mention, I'm not trimming off half the stuff they're going to trim off. Right. You, you want the, you want it to have a higher yield. Exactly. Sure. Yeah. And that, I mean, especially with brisket, you know it, you guys both know it. The yield on brisket is pretty much shit. Uh, <laughs> just say it nicely. <laughs> You know, I, I think it's 50%. so, so yeah, I think, I think it's so funny how so many people are like, oh, you have this huge brisket, it's going to, you know, it's going to yield so much, and it's like, no, not really, not at the end of the day, like, you lose, <laughs> you lose quite a bit, you know, and then they ask, well, why does brisket got to be so expensive? Well, because, A, it takes so long to cook, B, you lose so much out of it, like, there's so many, you know, it goes through so many hands, almost. To where it has to be that expensive. Right. Yeah, yeah, and we get good brisket. We get them from a a ranch in eastern Washington called Double R Ranch. Okay. And they're they're premium. You know, they also own a, a Snake River Farms wagon okay. Pro okay. product. And so, the good thing about them because they have such a good breeding program and biologists. We we went out to the ranch and met them. You know, cowboy guy, cowboy hat, riding a horse, but they uh um give us a product that's more consistent. Like some, yeah. I used to buy boxes of brisket and you know, one might weigh nine pounds and one might weigh 17 pounds in the same box. It, it was dude, that's, that's like what I yell at my distributor for. I'm like, dude, no, like I can't have a box that's like a yeah. nine pounder and a 17 pounder. Cause you, right. it, it's so much harder to cook. It is, consistency is, is so key when you're doing 40, 50, 60. I mean, the ones we're getting right now from Double R Ranch, they're 
they're so consistent. We're pulling 10, 20, 30 off at a time. And they're, because they're, they're cooking nicely for you. They're cooking nicely all together at the same time, yeah. And it makes the job so much easier. You know, you can't keep lifting those doors up for one every five minutes, you know. Because, you're, yeah, yeah, I mean, you, you lift those doors up, you're going to lose heat in the cooker. You're going to go through more wood. You're, you're stopping the other ones from cooking, in a sense. Right. right. So you're, you're making the other ones make, make it almost be a longer cook. Uh, Joe, I want to ask you this question, man. What brought you into the barbecue? Well, uh, working here, working here at Jack's Barbecue, I mean, I've always, I'm from California, and there's not a real big California culture, you know, we do tri-tips on Weber kettles, and that's, yeah, you, that's much, you know, and I love that, but um, I started working here about five years ago, and just fell in love with it, and um, so yeah, so that's, that's, that's it, now I'm, now I'm still here. Now you're still stuck, still, dude, you're like, a barbecue bug bit you, and you're stuck. Yep. <laughs> it's a dangerous bug to get bit by. <laughs> Lose a I lot mean, of sleep. It's it's funny. I mean, Central Texas style for me was new to me when I went to barbecue summer camp. I grew up in Dallas. Okay. And barbecue there was a little more like, you know, um, southern barbecue. We ate more chopped brisket than we <laughs> ate beautiful pieces of perfect brisket. And it was a little more saucy, mm-hmm. you know, a little more fried food. And it wasn't. It wasn't as special as it is now. Yeah, I think Aaron Franklin changed the game. They were the old timers, like Louis Miller's in Central Texas, doing it forever. But he certainly made it famous, where all of a sudden everybody was aware, like this is this is the thing. You know, this is way way better and way different. And so uh, it was kind of new for me too to get into this this kind of barbecue, this level of perfection and everything. Now. When you guys, when you kind of first started doing it and, you know, you were getting off your feet, did you go to Mesquite Wood right away because that's kind of a lot, a, little, a lot of Texas actually uses Mesquite? Or did you go to Mesquite Wood because it was the easiest for you to source? I know for us, I use all oak. Um, the reason I use pure oak is it's the most centralized wood in the Chicagoland area. A, it's the easiest for me to get because we have a shit ton of it. So it just makes my life a little easier. Um, and I like the flavor that it gives me. I, I feel like it, it's it's a very like regional flavor. Yeah, I mean the regional flavor here is or fruit woods like cherry and apple. We've got a billion apple trees just over the mountains from Seattle. Um, but I grew up with mesquite. Uh, after going to Central Texas, though, I tried post oak. Okay. And uh, you can import post oak. We tried hickory, which is good. We tried mesquite. Um, I think mesquite has the the most flavor. At the uh, Beef 101 class I took at Texas A&M, they had uh, consumer testing. We did a, a year, a couple of years in a row. They did mesquite, post oak, pecan, and hickory. Pecan was the sweeter. Post oak was kind of the smoothest. Uh, okay. Hickory was delicious and won the overall flavor contest. And mesquite was the strongest. And um, We've tried all those. I like mesquite. I think we like the way it burns. Yeah. The mesquite we get too isn't that strong. It's and we burn it so clean that right. you get a. It's not a heavy smoky flavor. You know, you don't get a creosote. Yeah, that's well. That's a big thing with mesquite wood. I think a lot of people get mesquite wood and they they put it inside very small smokers that can't right. get a hot enough fire or can't get a big enough fire 
because the firebox isn't big enough for that wood to really mm -hmm. ignite itself really nicely and give you that good clean smoke. So they're smoldering it a lot. And then they're right. like, eh, I don't like the taste of it. Well, you don't like the taste of it because mesquite does need a hot fire. It needs a big firebox. It just does. You know what I mean? It, it needs it needs to let itself kind of go in a sense. I don't know if that, that's the way to say it, but that's what I'm going to say. And um, I think that's why you get a lot of people that are like, oh, mesquite wood. No. Uh. It's like, yeah, it's because you cooked on it wrong. And almost right. any wood that you cook on it wrong will do that. It'll it'll give a bad flavor because you're not giving it enough oxygen. Right. Yeah. I mean, we, we have that conversation every day. We do pit tours here a lot, and we tell people about the clean burning wood fire, and it's the invisible gases coming off of clean burning wood that have the flavor. Yeah. I, uh, I, I read that chapter in the book Modernist Cuisine, that four-volume set that the Nathan Merville wrote. He's like this ex-Microsoft billionaire, and he had a bunch of physicists and engineers break down the science of cooking. Yep. And it's called Modernist Cuisine. He has a whole chapter. And actually, I borrowed the book. It's like 400 bucks for the set. <laughs> oh, jeez. Okay. But, I, but that they, you should read it. There's a whole uh, chapter on smoking. And he, this guy goes to Central Texas, and he has all of his scientists break it down. He tells you the exact temperature of the wood combusting at 700 and something degrees. It produces these invisible gases that have the flavor. Yeah. It's not the smoke you see. The smoke you see is creosote. It's bitter. Yeah, it's, yeah. It, it's not. I mean, if you're seeing, if you're seeing white pillowy smoke coming out of that smoker, that thing ain't ready. Or if right. you're seeing, um, <clears throat> I like to see a nice faint blue smoke, very, very, very thin, if any. You know what I mean? If I'm gonna go to any, uh, normally I, I like my stacks to look just like there's nothing coming out of them. You know what I mean? Like you might right. be able to see the, um, you see the temperature difference, right? The heat, and that's it. Yeah. And, and, you know, you, you know that there's something coming out of it, but it doesn't look like there's anything coming out of it. Yeah, and it's, that, convection, it's convection cooking, really. Yeah, and that's when you know, like, it's it's ready, the smoker's ready, the wood's good, let's go. Like, let, let's put meat on it, let, let's run it cleanly, uh, give it a good, good amount of oxygen, and you get... Yeah, so... I was kind of, you know, I, I always tell people just burn it down, start start a little burn barrel or something, and, and just shovel the big coals in your firebox and let that cook it. Um, from there, you can add chunks. You know, if you get logs, you can use your saw, miter saw or something, chop them up into chunks, and then add those to the coals. But um, yeah, it's better to add the coals than to try to build a smoldering fire with big logs in your undersized firebox. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. And guys, if you want to go see what they're cooking on, if you go to the Instagram, which is Jack's BBQ, um, you can see the the beautiful pits that they're cooking on, man. That pit room is gorgeous. Um, it you know one of the you know one of the photos you can see is uh, you can see Joe Joe loading that that beast up, and then um, you know you, I believe there is a photo somewhere on there of. Um, just kind of like your one, you know, of the two, two cookers. Now it looks like there's a third one, kind of in the in the back. Am I correct there? Yeah, yeah, we got a third one uh, on the side of it. We've got a fourth one on wheels, but we don't we don't use it too much. We like the three, the big three. The big three. Now, did you guys have those pits custom made? 
Yeah, we've got a guy north of Houston that makes them for us. Okay. Because, yeah, I mean, the, the fireboxes look nice and big. Um, looks like you guys got a, a beautiful setup there. I mean, good amount of wood. Um, now, was, was sourcing wood difficult for you at first? You know, it never was. There's a guy in town that, that uh, gets wood from Texas and other places, supplies it to most of the restaurants in town. And I met him when I was doing my pop-ups before the restaurant business. Okay. And so just grown with him. He's grown as we have too. So he's kind of our wood guy. We have looked at getting the wood directly ourselves from Texas and shipping it out to save money and stuff. But it's it's a tough business. You have to hire, you know, trucking companies and stuff. And you have to store it somewhere. Yeah. This guy stores it and keeps it keeps it dry for us and he every now and then, like a couple times we got a, a pile of hickory that was green and we couldn't use it. And now he's got a kiln. He's got a big um, uh, transport cargo storage container. Yeah, that he's hooked a heater into and stuff like that. So we've got a good wood supply from him. If if he he weren't available, we do it ourselves. And we can also you can drive over the mountains to eastern Washington and get a lot of apple and cherry. Um, yeah. But that mesquite or those hardwoods from Texas, it's that's a that's a schlep, and yeah. you pay you pay a lot of money for it too. <laughs> oh, I, I I can imagine, dude. I can imagine now. Um, with you guys being up in Washington, the, the climate's a little bit different there than it is in Texas. Um, does it ever affect the wood in the sense of the moisture kind of, I know it's hard for moisture to creep back in, but wood tends to pull in a little bit of moisture. And if it's sitting for too long, it'll kind of settle itself out to wherever, wherever the moisture really is in, in the air level. Yeah, I, I, I think so sometimes, but um, it's pretty easy to tell when you're trying to burn it. If it gets rained on. Yeah, if it gets rained on or if it's just a little moist, um, but it's pretty. It's a pretty easy fix. We just rest it. We got big fireboxes. We just pile them up on top of the fireboxes. And, and just let them dry out right on, right on top of that firebox. Almost yeah. pre, I, I, what I always call it is I say I'm preheating my wood. You yeah, know? exactly. Yeah. I, I just get them on there so then as soon as they go in, they ignite right away because they're already warm. They're good to go. Right. I think the the air in Seattle is moist. It comes off the ocean in between the ocean and the mountains, and it's it's. I think it's perfect for barbecuing. I mean, yeah. In it Texas, is. it gets so dry. Yeah. And hot. People put things of water in their smoker and stuff like that to keep the humidity up. And the air here is perfect. That, that was going to be my next thing. Does the does the air help you keep those pits? more moist because like i cook over a water smoker so i cook over you know gallons of water that are just boiling the whole time underneath my meat which keeps keeps moisture in my chamber but for you guys i mean you don't really have technically any moisture in your chamber because it's 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 an old school stick burner um but being in being in washington state like you said the moisture in the air is helping kind of keep that moisture in the chamber very much so I, I think so. I think so too. And and you know you leave the stacks open overnight and it rains and and it, you know it rains right inside your smoker and you got a, you got rainwater down in the bottom as steam out. You know. Um, I I did an interview with Eater.com a couple of years ago and they said well what's the, at the end of the interview they just asked so what's the difference between barbecuing here in Texas I said well 
here the, the beef doesn't go through such a long hot summer so it's probably better easier on the beef and i said the air moisture is kind of perfect for barbecue so it's probably the air is probably better too and that's all i said and the title of the article comes out it says jack says barbecue in seattle better than texas <laughs> you're like you know? no that's not what i said <laughs> <laughs> don't you love how they just decide they're like we're gonna take bits and pieces of your sentence <laughs> and we're just gonna we're just gonna make it into our own sentence we got a yeah. I got a bunch of nasty uh, emails on that one. <laughs> Did you get some hate on that one? People being like, "You don't know what you're talking about." Yeah, yeah, it's funny. Oh, that's the that's restaurant business is funny. We have people coming here that say we got a two star review once. The guy says that wasn't very Texas. They didn't have a big thing of big red on the counter, and they didn't have you know something else they were playing like the country music playing was from nashville not texas and i'm like what <laughs> and this guy comes in and i okay. heard him talking he came back in to order some food and i heard him saying the same kinds of things to his friends i said are you the guy who wrote that review yeah, and you yeah. say that we're not texas enough i said well i'm from texas the the, this pit guy is from Houston. This uh, waitress is from Fort Worth. This our catering manager is from San Antonio. And he said, "Yeah, but you don't have a big thing of big red in the counter. You have beer on tap instead of in <laughs> bottles." I said, "Where are you from?" He says, "Well, Seattle." I said, "He says, but I've been to Texas." Oh, okay. <laughs> cool. Thanks a lot. It's okay. We, so we get uh, we get one of our reviews, and they're like, "The brisket point was fatty." <laughs> and I didn't know whether to say like you're welcome or like you know what I mean like, it was like this was fatty yeah too exactly. smoked yeah, yeah. <laughs> or well. like we'll get um, <laughs> you know we, we get like we, we do pork belly burn ends and you know we get the pork belly was fatty <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, no, it, it's a fatty cut of meat. We could definitely see it being fatty. And if yeah. I render it all it's out, it's going to suck. <laughs> uh, we started doing uh, beef belly burn-ins recently. Yeah? yeah, and they're really good. People love them. Yeah, we've been we've been doing beef bacon here for years. I didn't, and I didn't even heard of beef bacon until I went to Texas A&M and we get beef bellies and cure them and smoke them and slice them up and eat them. They're good. Yeah. We did, um, so uh, one of the local butcher shops near us, they bought a bunch of beef belly on accident. And the guy's like, what the hell am I going to do with this? And I'm like, I mean, you can make beef bacon, I guess. And he's like, what? <laughs> so I took it and I cured it. And then I smoked it, cooled it completely, and then, you know, sliced it super thin for him. Uh-huh. And I'm like, well, try it this way. And he tried it. He's like, holy shit, this is delicious. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. He's like, so we could probably make sandwiches out of this. I'm like, yeah, probably. You know, like, <laughs> here we go. But it, it was funny where he was just like, I didn't know what the hell to do with it. Because beef belly, is it, it, it's a very fatty cut of meat. Right. You yeah. know, it's very fatty, and if you don't know exactly what you're doing with it, you can kind of get lost in cooking it. You could be like, I don't know what the hell to do with it. Right. Right. So we yeah. just kind of kind of rolled with the punches and made made the best thing we could make, which is basically bacon. 
Uh, Joe smoked a uh, alligator for our anniversary last year. That was fun. How was that, bud? I've ne- that's something I've never gotten to do. I've never gotten to smoke an alligator. Um, a, it's not a very easy thing to come around. You yeah, know, it's not. I mean, I can get little ones all everywhere, but the a, a bigger one is it is hard to get. I had to I have to get it online and stuff. But they're they're really easy to cook and they're good. And we brine them and we wrap it in bacon. And uh, you just temp it at the tail, at the base of the tail. Um, and once the tail gets up to temp, it's all done. Now, yep. what, what temp did you pull it at? Get to like 150, 160, somewhere around there. So it's not yeah. a super long smoke because no. it's pretty lean. It's Well, you know, it's longer than you would think. Um, give yourself seven or eight hours because okay. it could take longer than you think. Um, I always, I've done about, I've done about five of them now, and every time it always surprises me how long it takes. So give yourself seven or eight hours, but, um, and you want to cook it tail side, you know, facing the, facing the heat, of course. Um, but it's good. Yeah, we've got a picture of one from May, looks like May 1st, is what the photo says when I clicked on it on Instagram. It's got a chicken hanging out of its mouth it's wrapped in bacon that's the way to go man that's the way to go you know uh turducken i do turducken. yeah so just so we could say it out loud we did um the same thing with goose pheasant duck and chicken which is a go fucking with a ph <laughs> <laughs> but that was a lot of debunking wasn't it that was a lot of, that was a lot of i was gonna say was that a pain in the ass kind of like <laughs> Putting all that shit into into one damn thing. And I tell the I'd ask the waitresses, I said, Are you selling the go fucking? They say, Well, I'm not gonna say that to a customer. <laughs> oh <laughs> god, I would have Yeah. This is the day you get to say it all that's day. That's the long. only day you get to say it. Like that's the only day. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm I'm obviously I'm guessing the alligator sold well. You know, we, we gave it out. It was our anniversary party. So we okay, just... so it's just Give we it fed about a hundred something people probably a couple, yeah. couple bites of gator with a couple bites of bacon you know and a, a couple of different sauces yeah aioli mayo and something else yeah a couple of couple of dipping sauces yeah that was good though that's still a very very cool thing to do I mean um, it, it it shows that you you got a little bit of depth right you know it shows your yeah. your your cooking crew can do can do a lot of different things not just I mean, brisket shows that you can do a lot of good things when you do it well, but uh... well, we're always challenging ourselves, you know, and and we're always having fun with it. We don't we don't know what we can do. We just try stuff that sounds fun, and we pull it off. Sometimes we do. Well, we always do. But uh, last year we did the whole steer. I think I was mentioning that, and awesome. um, that was a big project. But we're not afraid, you know. We just try it, and and we got a whole team of people. Everybody jumps in and. Has fun and, and uh, when you have a hammer, everything's a nail, right? So we, if you can smoke it, we'll try. Yeah. We uh, we smoke a lot of oranges. We do a smoked orange old fashioned cocktail that's very popular. Okay. We cut the oranges in half and put them in the smoker for a couple hours at the cold end of the pit. Yep. And we get thin sheet trays of brown sugar and smoke those too for a few hours, uh, and then cook it down to a simple syrup. It comes up like a caramel molasses. Awesome. And that plus plus bourbon plus bitters and a, a brandy cherry and you've got a smoked Ooh. old fashioned. Yeah. <laughs> and it's a true smoked old fashioned. It's not like one of those smoked old fashions where you 
you know, you're using that smoking gun and you're just like kind of infusing smoke onto the top layer almost of the liquid. You're, that was, you're, yeah, that doesn't taste good to me. That tastes like creosote to me, I think, or bitter. I, I, it smoky, almost is. You, you got to be a little more subtle than that, I think. Like, so we do, we do, um, we do a shiitake mushroom rub, and we get fresh shiitake mushrooms and we smoke them, and then we dehydrate them, and then we grind them to go through the rub. I was wondering what that black crust on yeah. that picture that meat was. I was, I was like, that doesn't look like pepper. That looks crazy. Yeah, no, it's a it's a shiitake mushroom, and the cool thing about it is mushrooms are so spongy, right? Yeah. That when they go onto the meat, they start absorbing the moisture from the meat and rehydrating themselves. Ooh. Wow. So when you cook it, the, mu the mushroom basically like rehydrates itself on top of it and then just gives you more of a meaty flavor. And, nice. and the funny thing is like, we played around with it for so, I played around with it, played around with it. And then, um, I threw some mushrooms into a Cambro container and they were just sitting there for probably like a month and a half, right? And <clears throat> totally forgot about them. And I was like, oh, shit. We still have, you know, a decent amount of smoked mushrooms that are already grinded. And I was like, I hope they're still okay, <clears throat> right? Mm -hmm. I try them, and I'm like, holy shit, they're even better. Nice. It gave it, like, the time, just, the it's sitting. <clears throat> Sorry. Um, it's sitting basically like just gave me such a better flavor so now it's like now we have to do now it's an even bigger process where it's like we smoke them we let them sit <laughs> and then we put them into the rub so it's like it's funny how like like you said you know anytime you can try something and, and you, it works and whatever but it's like sometimes you do stuff and you're like oh shit that was an accident but it, yeah. it worked out perfectly like let's keep doing that accident you, you put that rub on your briskets no, we actually that that's a steak rub for us. So, okay. So we we sell it as a steak rub. Um, our our brisket rub is very kind of um, Central Texas slash like Southern Texas. Mm -hmm. You know, black pepper, salt. yeah, salt pepper. But we do put onion powder in ours. We put garlic powder in it, and then mm -hmm. we put a little bit of cayenne, so there's a little bit of heat. Mm -hmm. You, know, you got to give them a little bit of a little bit more of a, a pop. <laughs> Right at the end, you know what I mean? So it gives you that back-end heat. My, my brother-in-law, Brian, says in jalapeno juice. I want to try that. Yeah. That sounds you say good. He, he just seasons it, like just lets it sit? Yeah, soaks it overnight, jalapeno juice. I mean, the rumor, and I don't know if it's still the rumor, is Aaron Franklin uh, brined his in pickle juice with a little uh, yellow mustard. And I don't know if that's true. It's... it's, it's urban legend by now it it's is it's i mean that shit's locked up you know what i'm saying uh <laughs> i mean one of his old pitmasters had a had an interview and they were like can we ask what's on the brisket he's like nope <laughs> he's like all i can tell you is i've never cooked a brisket just salt and pepper though oh <laughs> yeah you know I, they might Putting some fud out there, you know? <laughs> yeah. You know. I, I just, I think, I've had Aaron Franklin's brisket, and I think there's something more to it. I think I there's, think there's something more to it. Yeah. I, t I talked to a guy who said he smoked, he marinated it in pickle juice with a little mustard, and he said it tasted just like an Aaron Franklin brisket. Really? So maybe that's what they're doing. 
Maybe. I mean, our biscuit's coming out good, and we I ate a lot of it, and I don't, yeah. I don't see a need to do more, to be honest. I mean, what if do there's you guys a do to your briskets? Salt and pepper. Just salt and pepper. Just salt and pepper? Yeah. Yeah, just trim them. We start out with a good cut of meat, or a good, uh, you know, good genetics, and um, salt and pepper, and smoke them with good wood, and that's now, do it. Do you guys do a, a heavy, uh, heavy grind uh, pepper? So it's a yeah, little bit bigger, like or is it? Are you 20, doing like a little bit slow, smaller? No, it's like a twenty course black okay. pepper, two to one, pepper to salt. Yeah, yeah. And um, that's all. That's all we seem to need to do. Yeah, less is more. I think. I think I, I, I definitely agree with you guys. You know, less is more. I think there's a lot of rubs out there that you start breeding the backs of them, and you're like. There's four million ingredients in here. How are they not fighting themselves? <laughs> right. You know, like it's just like insane. I think what's more important is to learn is to figure out how to cook it perfectly. Yes. A lot of people who spend a lot of time focused on flavors and all these other things, they still need to figure out. They still need to learn how to cook it perfectly. Once you do that, I mean, it tastes good all by itself. Oh yeah. So you just you just can't screw it up. You just gotta. You know, walk it, walk it, uh, hold its hand. No, no when to take it off. No when to take it off. Yeah. Now, do you guys, um, when you get, when you're doing, obviously you're doing so many, so many big, you know, amounts of meat and all that. Do you guys play around with beef ribs or anything like that also? Or is brisket kind of the, the king beef in the restaurant? We, we do a lot. Of, we do beef ribs. Uh, we don't do them every day. We did about... 40 or 50 racks on Father's Day. Yeah, we do twice a week. We do beef ribs. Okay. We we do brisket ribs, uh, pork, chicken, and uh, sausage. We do a cheddar jalapeno sausage and a regular sausage. Do you guys are you guys doing the sauce? Is it all in-house sausage? Are you guys using no. your trimmings or no? We used to have a local guy make it for us, and then we actually found a, a place, Syracuse Meat Company in Ponder, Texas. Okay. And we. We tried theirs and liked it better than what we were doing, so we, we get it from them now. <laughs> hey, no, I, I can't hate on you. You know, we do sausage, and everyone's like, oh, is this your own sausage? And I'm like, no. Like, well, why not? You know, because so many people are like, we make our own sausage, we make our own sausage. And I'm like, honestly, it's it's not cost effective for me to make my own sausage. Right, Like, right. You know, I got a guy out of, you know, I, I got a guy that literally – I order as many pounds as I need and it's there and the pound, you know, per pound is correct on what I want to pay (laughs) to the point where it's like, man, I couldn't pay a staff member or pay myself enough to do this per this, you know, per this cost. Right. Right. And make it this good. There are people that make sausage for a living and they do it really well. Yeah. And I'm not one of them. Yeah, <laughs> there's enough to do on a daily basis. You don't have to do everything, right? I mean, sometimes sometimes you got to look at it and be like, "Listen, I know my strengths, and that's one of them right now." I'd love we'll to learn do, more about it. I think we will do sausage at some point. Um, right, we're, we're plenty busy right now, and I think when we need another project and something fun to do, I think we'll. We're, we're kind of, our style is, you know, we do it big or we don't do it at all. We do it right. So, yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, we have fun, too, with local 
people always up to something. There's a pizza guy. Uh, what, what was that? Johnny Moe's. Johnny Moe's Pizza in Seattle. And uh, we got together with him last week with a bunch of barbecue pizzas. He's going to put a Jack's barbecue pizza on his menu. Nice. We did that. Uh, we did that last <clears throat> summer. A buddy of mine is a big pizza guy. And um, he's like, dude, let's do a barbecue pizza. And I was like, yeah, let's do one. So we smoked a brisket. And we, ch- you know, we cooled it down, sliced or we chopped the brisket because obviously you got to be able to like kind of you can't put slices of brisket on a on a wood fire pizza because it'll look weird. Um, so we chopped the brisket and made this amazing just brisket pizza. Mm. You know, it's just like we we did that, and then we used our pulled pork and our smoked mac and cheese, and we cooled it all down. Did a pulled pork mac and cheese pizza. Ooh. Man, it like the smoky flavor comes out of it so nicely. You know what I mean? And it go, it goes back into a wood fire oven, so the pork kind of gets a little crunchy. Oh, and on a pizza, that's okay. Like, if it's on a sandwich and you're like, oh, this is really crunchy, probably not that good. But <laughs> on a pizza, you know what I mean? It's a different, it's a different at, like, atmosphere for it. But we just had the funnest time trying to, like, create pizza. So I can only imagine how much fun you guys had being like, let's create some pizzas. Like, I think barbecue and pizzas go together so well, too, that most people don't even think about it. Yeah, it, it was good. Yeah, he does, he does Chicago style too. Yep, the deep dish with lots of barbecue sauce and and brisket and uh, some of our pickles and jalapenos that we make in house. That was good. Yeah, it was good. <laughs> I mean, it, you can't go wrong with it. You can't be you can't be mad at it. You can't really go wrong with it, and it just, it just works, right? Yep, yep. We had a fun event. We do a lot of. Uh, special uh, fundraisers like the American Cancer Society gala events and stuff, and we're one of the the people cooking food and stuff. We had an event where we did um, uh, brisket, and we're just trying to think because we serve brisket at a lot of these events, and people love it. But let's do something crazy, so we 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 uh, uh, souffleed it in a bourbon sauce. Okay. So we just got our cooked brisket. We got a pan with some some. Um, oil and spices going we throw bourbon in there it explode you know with the <laughs> yeah big ball of flame that the show and it was delicious like that bourbon flavor and everything mm-hmm. yeah. portobello mushrooms and blue cheese yeah blue cheese and mushrooms like oh my god that was fun now did you guys ever have let me ask you this question did you guys ever have like a problem educating the customer at first because i feel like especially like in chicago um Sometimes we have that issue where we have to educate the customer on what barbecue actually is. We get so many people that are like, you know, it's burgers and hot dogs. That's barbecue. And it's like, no, not really. Or like Chicago is known for boiling their ribs. We don't boil our ribs. So it's like sometimes you got to like, like for us, we educate a lot of our customers for the way that we cook it. Like we've had pop-ups where we've sold out and they're like, well, you know, can you go get another brisket? (laughs) <laughs> yeah see, the, the, there's that. One, of course. <laughs> I, I had one lady she was like what's a brisket take 45 minutes to an hour <laughs> it is hard to do that it's hard to educate a customer without sounding like, like a dick a jerk. That, that's why i work in the back <laughs> <laughs> me too dude that's why we have a description on our menu that says, you know, this kind of barbecue doesn't require sauce. It's from old butcher shops in the, you know, mid-1800s to now in central Texas and stuff like that. 
it's often served on butcher paper with white bread and, and uh, pickles and onions. So we, we and we train our staff. We we have a barbecue 101 uh, guide that I wrote for them that says here's here's the story. Here's how the stuff works. Here's what a flat is versus a point, and on and on. But you do get customers. We've had customers that say, hey, this isn't done. It's this red ring on the outside of it. And you would think, well, why would that red ring be on the outside? How could you cook the <laughs> middle of it from the inside out, right? Yeah. They think it's they think it's not done because it's got a, a red smoke ring on it. I've had ribs with the smoke ring so big that the whole rib is pink. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's no yeah, and they always and, and I've had some people call us out, Oh, it's not done, it's pink. We have a, a like I can has- promise you, sir, I can one hundred percent promise <laughs> you that thing is done. <laughs> <laughs> we get that a lot on our chicken here, you know, because you know, smoked chicken sometimes yeah. it's pink. Yeah. You get yeah. a nice good smoke ring in it, it's pink, and it's yeah. like, well, why is the chicken pink? Well, and then we start breaking down like, well, you know, why is the chicken pink? Well, you know, it's from it's from the smoke, the way that the, the the smoke penetrates the meat, it actually changes the color and blah blah blah. Then I don't try getting too technical with them because I feel like their eyes just glaze over and they're just like, uh, okay, no. Right. Right. <laughs> but when we first, when we first opened, a woman asked me for a bib and I said, a bib. She said, yeah, for eating ribs. I said, where are you from? She said, Memphis. I went, Oh, <laughs> cause they've got some dripping ribs there. Right. Yeah. And ours, said, well, you don't need ribs. You won't need a bib for ours. You know, just, do you guys do? Cause now when you guys do your pork ribs, are you, what kind are like your seasoning? Is it, is it a dry rib? Is that kind of what you guys are going at? Just a dry rub? That's yeah. it? Yeah. It's all dry. It's all dry rub. Yeah, we just changed it, too. We used to trim off the rib tips and serve a St. Louis rib. But we decided to go, instead of by the rack and whatnot, we're going to do it by the pound. And we're going to sell spare ribs with the rib tips left on. So that's going to be a big educational moment. That, that'll definitely be an educational moment because now people will have to actually, like, not everyone knows what the rib tip is, right? Not everyone knows ab- about, you know, having a chew around that cartilage. Right. Right. And we also have a, a big following for our rib tips. Oh, and do so, you? Okay. Yeah, yeah. People love them because they're kind of the cheapest thing on the menu, you know, and they are good. They're delicious. But we have to cut them off. We have to cook them separately. They take up a lot of room. If we don't sell them out, we throw them away or put them in the... In the uh, uh, collard greens yeah. or something like that. They're just, they're just a, a little too much. And, the, and a long, I grew up eating the whole spare rib or the whole thing. And I like the rib tips hanging off the end. So I do too. And the other thing is the ribs, you know, they fluctuate throughout the year so much. It's, it's hard to have a consistent product. Yeah. If you sell a rack, it can weigh 50% more and go from two yeah. something to three something pounds a rack. Yeah. And that so we're going in all the places in Texas. I was there last year. We were both there last year. They all sold them by the pound. So we're just going to go old school. Old school, yeah. just kind of deli counter, t- deli meat. Like here we go. Well, yeah. How many pounds do you want? Yeah. yeah, and we tell people a pound's about a, you know, three ribs and yeah, two pounds is two thirds of a rack. It's about three pounds of rack cooked. So we simpler. do we do smoked wings, right? And when we do our pop-ups, we do party wings. So we, we you know, we, we take a, we take apart the, the drum and the flat. And I had a lady literally ask me, she goes, um, how many wings do I get? 
And I go, well, you get eight wings, okay? And she goes, okay, so you're telling me I only get four full wings? <laughs> and I'm like, if, if you put it that way, yeah, you know. If you, want, if, you want, if you want to think about it that way, that's fine. And she's like, I don't think that's enough for me. And I'm like, that's a lot of food. <laughs> like... <laughs> They're not skinny wings, lady. Yeah, I mean, like we do, we get, you know, we get as big of wings as we possibly can. But it's like, you, you know, what we do is we smoke them and then we fry them. That's, so that sounds good, yeah. Yeah, that does sound good. So you get like you get that nice smoky wing, but you still get the crunchy skin. Right. And it it it's just it's kind of like the best of both worlds. The way that's the way I look at it. <laughs> I, I prefer turkey, turkey breast, and over over chicken any day. I think, but I think most people out here they want chicken. So I think you know. Well, we've done it for so long, and it's pretty. When you you smoke a whole chicken and you cut it in half yeah. and give them a half a chicken, it's it's pretty, pretty gorgeous. It's, yeah, it's yeah. very uh, it's a very appealing thing, um, and that's something that I think you know, like like a lot of people say, people eat with their eyes. So when they see something really pretty, they they gravitate towards it. Yep. Yeah. And nowadays everybody wants something they can take a picture of. And, yeah, I was gonna know. say they get they can uh, post to Instagram and uh, tag you and all that kind of fun stuff. Right. Um, and I think that's kind of where sometimes barbecue will struggle. Is you know a fatty part of the brisket doesn't always look pretty. Right. You know what I mean? Right. And unfortunately, you, you can't not sell it because it doesn't look as pretty. You got to know how to work with it. It's it, Yeah, our slicers, you know, the people who slice the meats have to be very knowledgeable because you have to feel it to make sure it's the right, you know, tenderness yeah. level. And if a part doesn't quite look right, maybe you chop it up, put it on a sandwich versus making it the the most perfect slice of brisket you ever saw on the plate. Yep. You know, yeah. stuff like that. But we spend a lot of time. The slicer's the last point of quality control before it right. hits the table. So that's that's a big deal. It's a key. They're key players to the yeah. whole operation. And I've, I've sliced for years. And when it's busy, 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 and you've got 30 tickets, and you're just cranking through it, and it's you just have to be super cool. You have to be super cool to know, like, if it doesn't look right, you just got to, you know, lose, yeah. lose some seconds on the slice and, you know, delay your tickets a few more seconds and just and make it right i think uh father's day we had man i think father's day we were we got killed dude we had already i think ten thousand pre-sold tickets before we even opened Ooh, ten thousand no yeah you're just here not orders no 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 dollars oh dollars yeah Yeah. i was gonna say yeah so fat stacks of tickets just for the 11 to 12 o'clock hour. Just. We, we did 500 at this one location that day, I think. Five or 600 orders. Yeah. Damn. Yeah, that was a busy day. Hey, you know, we got, we kind of got killed on Father's Day also. We were, we were very happy about it. We did a pop-up. We were supposed to be there for three, or we were supposed to be there for three hours. We sold out in an hour and 15. <laughs> yeah. Man, dude. That's we got shared in some foodie group that we didn't know we were in. Um, the first, I think six, the first six orders were 10 orders a piece all to go. 
So ten Whoa. different meals. And it's yeah. like, you can't, it, it's hard when you're doing a pop-up, and for people that don't understand, it's like, man, you're only bringing a certain amount of food. You know you're there for a, a limited amount of time, and especially now with, with you know, where, what we're going through with the COVID shit, um, you know that every every place right now over by us is running a limited supply, right? Mm-hmm. Or not a limited supply, but a limited um, limited capacity. So you're not you're not used to. It's not like they're running at a hundred percent capacity. So mm-hmm. when you get all these to go orders, man, it's like it almost kind of like kicks you in the teeth, being like, "Here's all these people that that are hitting these to go orders," and you're like, "I was not ready for this many people to leave." <laughs> <laughs> That is our biggest day of the year. Dad's like barbecue. Dad's like barbecue. It, it It's insane. And, like, I felt so bad because we were turning away dads, and they were like, dude, this was the only thing I wanted for Father's Day. And I'm like, shit. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you're just like, uh, I'm in trouble. Yeah, you ruined my family memory of this day. Yeah. For, for eternity. We got a couple of those. Uh, but what do you do, right? I mean, it's barbecue. When it's sold out, it's sold out. Sold out, it's sold out. Like, yeah. you know, we've had we've had a couple days where um, there, you know, where we we had lines forming before we even showed up, and it's like you don't know. What if it's the right. day that you show up with a ton of meat, and you show up and there's not a single human there? <laughs> that happens. It does, and those <clears throat> are scary days. That's what's hard about the pop-ups. We we've done we've done some similar businesses like that where you just don't know. The Mariner Stadium, right? And um, yeah, we were in a baseball stadium one year, and it was pretty predictable, but not really. I mean, they could it depended on ticket sales. Yeah. And they would let us know, but even then, I mean, if the if uh, Houston comes and plays, you sell out. If right, Detroit comes and plays, you don't. You don't. Yeah. Yeah. You cook it's, half the food. <laughs> You know, that's the hard part. It's like you don't know what, sometimes, what to cook and how to cook. Right. You know what I mean? And I I have this, like, I have this great, like, I don't know if you want to call it luck or what it is. If I decide that I'm going to cook a little bit less of something else, that's what everybody orders that day. Yep. (laughs) Yep. That's, uh, yep, that's we gotta, we gotta name that we gotta name that law yeah <laughs> Murphy's barbecue law yeah where it's like hey you know what I decided to only cook you know a couple pork shoulders instead of going you go you know cooking a bunch of them and then it's like oh everyone wants pulled pork today fantastic <laughs> yeah or the other way if you yeah. cook extra if you don't sell any. Exactly. Yeah, because like the next the next couple of events, we're like, oh, I got I was selling so much of this, so we gotta we gotta um, cook more of it, and it's like, oh, nobody wants it. Okay. <laughs> we've actually like we've taken chicken off our pop up menu. Our chicken's fantastic, but nobody wants it. Yeah, chicken's weird. It's we call it our vegetarian option. <laughs> it's uh, you know, some people love it. 
and most people don't, but you kind of have to have it. That is really our vegetarian option. Yeah. We, we smoke portobello mushrooms too, and they're, they're a vegetarian option for catering and stuff. And we thought, well, it's Seattle, everybody wants a vegetarian option. We put it on our menu and every day we throw away trays of smoked portobello mushrooms, which are delicious. But, uh, but you just can only eat so many of them. Yeah, there's no market. There was no nobody came to our restaurant to eat a vegetarian option. I mean, right. it's a barbecue joint. So yeah. we do have salads. We have some. We have vegetarian stuff. Yeah, we pecan try. pies, vegetarian. The sauce. Let's <laughs> put lard in the crust. The sauce is vegetarian, but not vegan. Yeah, right. <laughs> there you go, dude. I, I think it's so we get we have had a couple people that are like. Um, what's your vegetarian option? And I'm like, I don't have one. And they're like, what do you mean you don't have one? I'm like, I'm a barbecue place. And right. they're like, well, this is, that's a shame that you don't have a vegetarian option. I'm like, I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> like, I mean, wouldn't it be fun to walk into a vegetarian restaurant and ask them what their meat option is? Yeah, exactly. What do you mean you don't have a meat option? I eat meat. <laughs> well, well yeah. like I brought, I brought my own meat. Could you warm it up for me and just watch them scream? I just think, you know, I think that is, like, it's the double standard. Like, if I go to a vegetarian restaurant and I say hi, I'd like a steak, they'd be like, excuse me? But yet they, they assume that we should cater to them. Right, right. I just yep. don't assume that anymore. We, uh, we're at the uh, festival, barbecue festival. We got protested against by all those vegetarians. Oh, at the, at the Texas Monthly Barbecue Festival in Austin, they had a bunch of people uh, protesting kind awesome. of standing out at the perimeter yelling and stuff like that and couldn't even enjoy my my ribs <laughs> dude we get we get that at um at bacon fest every year so there's a big right. festival in chicago called bacon fest Ooh. and people come out and everyone's doing crazy stuff with bacon um anything you can think of people have put bacon into um and it's like every year it's protested every single year Right. And it's like, they, they, like, when we're walking out and, like, unloading and loading in for it, you know, I've worked in a couple years for different restaurants, and um, it's like, dude, they're, they're almost kind of brutal about it. They're like, we can't believe you guys are doing this. Like, and they're, some of them, some of the people are forcefully mean. And it's just like, man, dude, I don't come to your vegetarian restaurant and tell you that you're killing plants. Right, right. Like, I think uh, I think a lot of people just have the wrong impression. I mean, we've we've toured every part of the processing plant, and we see where these cattle come from and these animals come from. It's not it's not bad. It's yeah. Know. Temple Grandin designed the processing plant that that we get our meat from. Right. She's that autistic woman they made a movie about. Okay, remember that one? Temple Grandin. She's got four PhDs. She's somewhat autistic, and yeah. something like over sixty percent of the beef processing plants in America are based on her design. They're super humane. It's, yeah, yeah. They're it's really peaceful. You don't you don't hear any cows mooing and all that. It, it's they they let the animals rest. They treat them they treat them good. When we went in, uh, to the uh, the ranch in Okanagan, mm -hmm. right? Um, these cattle are hanging out in the shade. Just grazing, just living it up. It's it's. it's Listen, I I always say, dude, they have. They live a great life, and then they have one bad day. <laughs> I 
I well, mean, it's it's more environmentally friendly than when they take that same acre of land and they strip it and they kill every animal on it, every nest, ground right. nesting bird, every worm, everything that lives near it, and they grow grow factory crops and put nitrate nitrates in the soil that bleach out into the ocean and kill a big piece of the ocean. I mean, it's I've seen studies that show the damage from factory farming is way worse than than raising cattle. Oh yeah. In terms of number of animals killed and long-term damage to the planet with the night with all the stuff they have to put out there. So I don't know. It's you know I think everything has a soul, including plants. Yeah. Including rocks. Everything's everything's good. Yeah. You do things respectfully and responsibly and as as well as you can, but at the end of the day. You know, we're going to eat, we're going to eat meat, so. But if you want to protest, come to Seattle. We do it every day. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just so, you know, when, I, when anyone's like, don't you feel bad about eating meat? And, you know, my, my, uh, my input is, uh, I don't believe that mankind grew to the top of the food chain for me to eat like a rabbit. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, that's kind of how I look at it. But at the same time, like, dude, I just like eating meat. I just do. It's yeah. like it's like saying tigers shouldn't exist because they eat meat. Yeah. Or or eagles or I don't know fish. I think well, I was yeah. listening on the Joe Rogan podcast. Yeah. He was talking about how um, people how you know humans evolved like significantly faster once they learned how to cook meat. Right. And um, just all that protein, just everything that they were able to, because normally you, you know you think about you spending the whole day foraging and trying to intake all those you know, nutrients and proteins and all those calories and you can um, kill one animal and start a fire and, you know, and eat that and just that brain development, they said, you know, some people think that that was a real turning point for, you know, yeah. species. Mm-hmm. I think the there. other thing, I don't know, I don't know how much of a Joe Rogan listener you are, I'm a very big one, uh, but one of the things he says too, he's like, man, he's like, if you look at the wild, dude, the wild is like a lot more brutal than we are. You know oh, what I mean? Yeah. Like you get like right. like bears, dude. Bears start eating their prey before they're dead. Right. Yeah. Like they grab whatever they're gonna eat and they just start eating it and they just hold it down and start eating it while it's alive. Yeah. Like they don't even kill the thing. I think most of the animals do. Most I, animals I know, do. Yeah. I know bald eagles do. I, I just saw a video yesterday of a zebra killing another baby zebra so he can mate with the with the mom and yeah (laughs) brutal zebra killing zebra baby zebra but that's but that's nature right yeah nature is brutal nature is brutal too many humans if you got the population from six billion down to one billion then it would be it'd be gentler on the planet that's what i say we do then we can all drive hummers and eat meat four times a day nobody will care It's a whole other protest you're just walking into. <laughs> but I love it. Don't get me wrong. I'm with you. Uh, <laughs> so, obviously, with everything that's going on, uh, I wanted to ask this. How did how did the restaurant do when you guys were kind of forced to close? What was your pivot? Like, did you guys go straight to carry out? Kind of what did you guys do to help keep you guys afloat? We, we definitely went straight to carryout, and carryout's always been a percentage of our business, being a barbecue joint, so it wasn't unnatural for us. Um, 
shutting down the business though the restaurant part means you're shutting down beer sales yep uh, appetizers things that have a higher you know coca-cola things that have a higher profit margin um yeah you we, gotta you gotta love that you know pouring a, a soda for somebody because right. if you don't so, know like that you make a lot of money in the restaurant industry with that and there's nothing wrong with that guys that's that's where we we need that money yeah it's how you stay alive i mean going to all meat like people coming in just buying a couple racks of ribs was is it's not nearly as profitable and our no. sales were you know went to 50% of what they had been so um and even less for the first few weeks it's grown back and uh we've done a couple of things to kind of pivot one is you know we've got three locations in Seattle one's the original place where we smoke all the meats and make all the sides and stuff and we have a a place in South Lake Union, which is a neighborhood where all the Amazon buildings are. Okay. And then a, a place downtown, a food court in a tall building downtown. And the Amazon went to zero because the, all those people stayed home and worked from home. But the people in the apartments around there started coming out for dinner. And our dinner business wasn't all that compared to lunch because everybody goes out for lunch, all those people in the offices. But the, the dinner business grew pretty good. Um, the, the other place shut down pretty much because nobody was going downtown. There were riots on top of that. <clears throat> so, yeah. but what we did was we opened some other to-go locations. We went to a diner east of Seattle in a suburb and it was a diner that was only open for breakfast and lunch. And we said, hey, do you mind, can we take over your place for dinner and, and sell barbecue? And they said, hell yeah, because we split the rent with them. And um, <laughs> so we do that, you know, at night we take our food over there and we slice it and everything just like uh, our other restaurants and we did the same thing south of town and north of town so we have three locations outside of the city where it extends our delivery radius so uh -huh. places that because everybody likes delivery and and to go uh right now so it it allowed us to get more of that business so we grew like that um, which was smart. And then we did another thing, you know, Ghost Kitchen, where you sell a different yep. menu out of the same location and just do it online through the delivery services like Caviar and Grubhub. So we started selling fried chicken out of our one of our downtown locations. So it's the same menu, coleslaw, potato salad, all the sides are the same, but we added fried chicken. And so it's called Jack's Chicken Shack. It's got its own menu, its own logo. And people order it online. They don't know where it's coming from, but it's coming out of that same kitchen. We sell thirty or forty orders of fried chicken every night now. Out of that, so good. and it's so good. I had one a couple weeks ago. The sandwich. That's the best chicken sandwich I ever had. Ever, right? I can't well, believe it. Hold on, did you guys did you guys get into the like Popeyes versus um, what was it? Popeyes versus uh, oh god. Uh, Chicken shit or not? Uh, Kentucky, Kentucky uh, fried, fried chicken. Where, where you know, it's like you guys got to be which which chicken sandwich was better? <laughs> yeah, the Chick Fil A versus the Popeyes. Yeah, that's what it was. Chick Fil A, <laughs> my bad. This 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 one blows those ones out of the water. Dude, I mean most chicken, most good good chicken sandwiches do right. Right, right. I mean, yeah. It's a fast food chain. It ain't gonna make me the best chicken sandwich in the world. It just says sorry. More of a Chick Fil A person myself. Understand that, but that kept us in. And then the the SBA loan that they gave out. Yep. For that, we got that'll pay for labor and rent for a couple of months. So that kept us in the black. Otherwise, we were in the red. I mean, we were losing money, but we weren't bleeding to death. 
which is our goal is just to survive. But now we're going to have to learn to survive long term because COVID's not going away. I don't think for a long time. I think it's going to be another year or two before it completely is done. Yeah. You know, they're, ha they're having a resurgence now all over the U.S. and people are, are, aren't going out to eat. We went to in Washington State phase two where you're allowed to go to restaurants, 50 percent occupancy. OK. And we're not filling up. You know, people aren't ready. I mean, Seattle is kind of a precious town and everybody's a little extra careful, a little, little more snowflakey than average, maybe. But it's a. <laughs> uh, it's still like it's COVID's on. Like people wear masks everywhere, and it's it's. Yeah, that's the hard thing. Like for us too. Like we're we're opening, and they're opening at fifty percent capacity, and that that that's what worries me. Is a it's difficult to run your restaurant at fifty percent capacity and make a profit, right? Mm -hmm. And then the other side of it is, it's not filling up to fifty percent. Right. Right. You know what I'm saying? So. How many restaurants are going to go under? They say anywhere from 25 to 45 percent of them. I think that Yelp said that something like almost 45 percent of their all of their businesses listed on Yelp have closed permanently. Yeah, but 45 percent of Yelp reviews are bullshit, anyways. No, the, <laughs> right. <laughs> well, see what I did there. <laughs> If the if the businesses go out of business though it's it's a it's a it's a bad deal it's it it's restaurants are going to go out of business I mean I, some of my favorite ones already have in Seattle so dude some of my favorite ones in Chicago have gone out of business and it, it hurts every time I yeah. see a buddy's restaurant go out of business and um, a good friend of mine has a couple locations and he just closed one of them and I actually didn't even know. Then he closed one of them. I was I was in the area and I drove by and I was like, "Holy shit!" And I texted him. I was like, "You closed this location?" He's like, "Yeah." He's like, "We closed it three days ago." I'm like, "Holy shit!" You know, it, it's just it's insane. Yeah, it's it's you know there are a lot of restaurants downtown that are going to be closed for years because they depend on offices being full of people and hotels being full of right. people and nobody's going to hotels and. Nobody's going back to their offices. I know a bunch of lawyers, different law firms downtown. None of them are resigning their leases. They're all going to like 20, 25 percent of their occupancy because they just don't need to work in an office every day. They've been working from home for half a year and it's it's working out or four months and it's it's OK. Um, so it's it's going to change things in a big way, I think. And I don't know. I don't know how our goal is just to stay alive for another year and see if we can ride it out and that means getting skinny dialing down staff and yep. and uh, dialing up delivery or to-go services and just trying to stay in people's mindset i mean we've had a lot of we have a lot of regulars and we've had a lot of support from people who, who are trying to help us but are they going to do that for a year like everybody's getting kind of tired of this like i'm really tired of it and listening to it on the news and Right. Can we hang in there for another year and wear a mask and support local businesses or just or what? I don't know. It's a long it's a long time. That's actually what I was taught. Me and my wife both work in the restaurant industry. She works uh, for a brewing uh, a brewery. And then obviously I own Fire and Smoke Barbecue, which is my full time. And um, it it's like, how long can people how long will people support? That's the question. You know what I'm saying? Like, how long before people are like, dude, I just can't keep spending money like I am? 
Right. You know what I mean? Yep. It's uh, it's going to be challenging, and I don't know what the end game is. I mean, we we bought another location a year ago, and we're opening up another restaurant with smokers Ooh. and everything in September. And that's and, scary. Yeah, it's scary. That's definitely it's scary. It's south of Seattle, so it's not in the in the metropolitan area so much. So that's good because the city's the worst place to be. Nobody wants to be in the city, and the people in the city are the most afraid. So it's further out, which is good, and it's a big enough space where we can spread out the tables and everything. But still, are people going to go out to eat? You don't yeah. know. Yeah. Do you and really want to go? You're, you're starting out with you're trying to bring people into a new restaurant. You know what I mean? You might have the name in in the Seattle area, and you guys do carry a very strong, beautiful name, but it's it it it's still a new a new location, right? Mm-hmm. So people are still kind of. Well, do we try it? Do we not? You know what I mean? And yeah. then there's the, the well, the added stress, not to give, give you any added, more added stress, but I think the listeners would like to hear a little bit about it, is like you're, you're opening a new location. There's all these yeah. new things that you – new staff needs to get trained. All this stuff needs to get, needs to get done. So it, it's a lot. It's a lot of stuff. So I admire you for for doing what you're doing. I think it's I think it's awesome. Um, I think I think you're uh, you guys know what you're doing. So I, I think you guys will survive. Hopefully, um, not hopefully. I, I'm pretty sure you know. Uh, you guys know what you're doing. Considering I'm looking at some of these the, these pictures of, of what you guys have been doing, and you guys are doing some amazing work. So I don't think you guys have a problem in the barbecue game. <laughs> Well, the the only thing in our favor is that you know marijuana is legal out here. Hey, <laughs> everybody's got the munchies. <laughs> yeah, and and like you said, you you guys are the new one. The new location you said is outside the city, outside of outside like a metropolitan area, right? It's more yep, kind of suburb. Thirty-five minutes, forty minutes driving south from Seattle. I don't know how Seattle real estate is currently. I know that Chicago real estate. A lot of people because of COVID are now starting to sell their real estate in the city and try to move out to the suburbs because yep. they're like, I just don't want to be near people. The whole country, the whole world's doing that right now. Yeah, so it's like, it's kind of weird. Like it's, it's almost like this flip flop idea. Yeah. Yeah. People are, are done with the city. It's just, they're tired of the cramped conditions and the expenses. And now, you know, can you imagine getting on a subway every day with thousands and thousands of people, you know, like that. That's just, yeah. it's just, you know, that's never, that's not going to be popular again in our lifetimes, I don't think. I, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's a very interesting to what's going to happen to city real estate. It also scares me on what's going to happen to city restaurants. Yep. Right? Because yep. that's where, you know, that's where a lot of great shit comes out of. It has. I mean, Seattle's like San Francisco. It's become very expensive, and it's become high-tech and lawyers, mostly downtown. Yeah. And so you've got steakhouses and fancy places, and you've got fast food. The middle-of-the-road guys like me are the ones that aren't going to exist downtown. It's just we're not cheap enough to be ultra-cheap fast food, and we're not charging $100 a plate to make a living like the, the chop houses and stuff like that. Yeah, but you know, the thing about barbecue restaurants is um, 
you know, a good barbecue restaurant can be a destination spot. You know, right. people will drive two or three hours to go to a legendary barbecue restaurant and, um, uh, you know, fly. we fly all the way to Austin and go try Snow's barbecue. And, you know, mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's it, that we have that in our favor, at least. Well, we're not quite legendary. <laughs> uh, no, I didn't mean to say we're legendary, but um, for I a good barbecue I, place, people will travel. I mean, yeah. I think you guys are going to, are I, I think you're underselling yourself there, Jack. I, I think you guys are, um, you're getting there on the map. Because the amount of meat you guys are doing, you guys are becoming legendary, man. You guys, you guys, obviously there's people that are, that are enjoying your barbecue. Because if they weren't, you wouldn't be selling that much meat. You know what I mean? And that means, that means two things. A, people love it. And, and they're starting to talk about it. They're telling their friends and they're saying, hey, you got to go to Jack's Barbecue. You got to go to Jack's Barbecue. Um, and, and word of mouth is, is growing, you guys. And it, it's, it's, it's amazing to see. You know, I love watching barbecue restaurants succeed. I, I just, I love it. Well, let's get more famous. Let's go blow something up, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> the, the home of the exploding smoker. <laughs> something whatever we, we, we just gotta be famous fourth of july festival yeah oh my god well mikey thank you so much for talking to us today yeah dude thank you so much for coming on the show i like to end our show in a fun way um so i like to ask this question if you could give somebody who's just starting out in barbecue three tips on how to shorten their barbecue like learning curve what would your three tips be i'd say buy aaron franklin's book Okay. That's a good one. That's a good one, I think. Uh, two, go to the uh, famous Jack's Barbecue in Seattle and have Joe, the famous <laughs> pitmaster, show you how to squeeze a brisket to know when it's done. <laughs> that lovely feel. Yeah. I think working at a high-volume barbecue restaurant is, is, is a good way to, you know, you learn Cut your you cook 10,000 pounds, you learn real fast. Yeah. Cut your that's teeth a big, that's a big commitment. Somebody yeah. to quit their job and go work at a barbecue yeah. joint. Oh, you mean someone just like a normal guy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, oh, like, yeah. A, yeah like somebody that wants to cook in their backyard. <laughs> oh, yeah. Just come, yeah, just come talk to us. <laughs> tell you all about it. Go, go, to, go to barbecue supper camp at Texas A&M. There you go, guys. Thank you <laughs> yeah. so much. Once again, guys, uh, if you want to follow their barbecue journey online, it is Jack's BBQ on Instagram. Jack's BBQ on all social media. Uh, Jack's BBQ Seattle on Facebook. Okay, perfect. And then, do you guys have a website that they can go to if they if they want to, you know? Yeah, go it's that JacksBBQ.com. Perfect, man. Guys, thank you so much for coming on the show, and we will chat with you soon. Thank you, yeah, Mikey. Thanks. That was fun.